Tonight I'm going to talk about humility. And I'll begin by saying that we live in a society in which there's a, a widespread incidence of toxic shame. Toxic shame is, is a very deep wounding that almost all of us carry. Places that hold to toxic shame really need lots of love and acceptance. Um, but because, because there's so much of this in, the, in our society, it really it tends to tilt or skew the whole topic of humility and what humility really is. Um, you get this kind of distorted view that humility means I need to be last. I need to be below everyone else. I need to be, you know, the lowest. Everyone else's needs matter. My needs don't matter. You know, someone putting themselves at the absolute end of the line, that kind of thing. And it's funny because whether I need to put myself above everyone else or below everyone else, either way, I'm separating myself from everyone else. I'm making myself special and different. True humility is really about putting ourselves on the ground, eye to eye with everyone else, equal with everyone else, not mattering more or less than anyone else. You know? And it's perfectly consistent with humility to say, I deserve love, I deserve basic human respect, I deserve appreciation. Because in naming those things, I'm not claiming any special privilege, I'm just naming the things that we all deserve. And in fact, how can I say, when we're acting from this place of, um, you know, I'm the worst, I don't matter, Acting like that really impedes healthy connections in many ways. Humility sets us up for healthy connections. Um, and so really embracing humility, under, healthy humility, is really an act of self-love. Because humility not only predisposes me to healthy connections, but it also aligns me with my deeper potentials. So the, I'm going to look at a, a particular text, a kind of unusual text tonight, called The Twelve Stages of Humility. And the origin of this text actually goes back to a Christian writer, St. Benedict of Nursia. St. Benedict lived in the 6th century. He was, he was a very influential monk. He, he founded a monastery and he wrote a famous rule, the Rule of Benedict which is really this incredibly wise document. It, it, hold, you know, it holds up high ideals, but it has such a sort of a generous understanding of our human failings. Um, and this rule was the rule for his monks, but it, it was so powerful that really monks and nuns throughout Christian history in the East and West, many other rules imitated the rule of Benedict. So it's, he, he's had... Um, more influence on Western monasticism than any other person, this person, St. Benedict. And so in modern times, there was this lawyer, his name was John McQuiston, and I, I don't know too much about his, his biography, but apparently he got to a point in life where he felt like 
his life wasn't meaningful and he started to search around like what could give me meaning in life um and he stumbled onto the rule of benedict and and realized there was some tremendous wisdom there and he really felt a lot of benefit from that and he wrote this little book and i i meant to bring it but i didn't bring it it's this tiny little book um each day we begin again and what he's he does in this book is essentially translate or adapt the rule of benedict for modern readers you know obviously most modern readers were not living as monks and nuns you know many people are not even christian you know so he's adapting the rule of benedict the wisdom there for modern readers and so this text the 12 steps of humility is a section of that book and so it's it's the rule of benedict adapted by this guy john quiston so I'm actually going to share the quote sheet right now. First, I'll share it with the Zoomies. Um, okay, shared with the Zoomies. Now I'll share with the Roomies. I don't know. It's a very crowded room. I don't know that there's enough for everyone to have one. If maybe a couple people can share. So it begins. These are the stages to freedom from self-centeredness, to humility, the centerpiece of our true life. The first stage of humility is to keep the sacred status of the sacred nature of consciousness and the world in which we exist always alive within us. Everything we think, everything we do, everything we feel is cast in time forever. Every moment that we live is irreplaceable and therefore every moment is hallowed. We must be on guard against despair, against fear, against bitterness, against self-seeking, and have the tenacity and courage to think optimistically and act affirmatively and to put the needs of others always before our own. So a few things I'll say about this, this idea of everything we think, do, and feel is cast in time forever. A a Buddhist way to frame that is karma. You know, the Buddha is quite clear. Everything we think has an impact on us, you know? And it's not only, you know, when we're in our best moments, everything we think, but everything we think when we're in our not-so-best moments, you know, and everything we're feeling in our not-so-best moments. All of those things are having an impact on us, you know? It, it's very funny. We, we live in this modern time in which we have this story that if I, you know, I go into my room and shut my door, then I can feel whatever I want to feel and it doesn't hurt anyone else, you know. Is that true? I don't know. You know. Are we having an impact on others when we're when we're indulging in our own, you know, self-pity or whatever it is? You know, it's hard to say. Um But it is true, and this is something very much present in Buddhism also, every single day is precious, you know, 
And really none of us know whether any day is going to be our last. You know, so there's something incredibly precious about time. This, the second stage of humility is to, trust, is to distrust our will. Our wants are insatiable, and our will is the product of our wants. Our pleasures, our needs, our wishes, all are mere self-interest, and the demand of self-interest are never-ending. Our desires are the path to disaster. At every turn, there is something more to acquire, something to distract our attention, something to divert the unchangeable footprints we leave behind. Day and night we must therefore return to humility and use it as a compass to guide us on the true course. Therefore, the second stage of humility is not to love our will nor to find pleasure in the satisfaction of our desires, but to carry out the unfathomable purpose of our being, to fulfill the designs that can only be discovered by overcoming our own cravings, for the function of existence in our lives is not ourselves." So that one I find particularly Buddhist, you know. Desires are desires of the path to disaster, very dramatically stated. Um, and I think I'll say there's, there's a very important distinction between our real needs and our kind of imagined fantasized needs, you know. Our real needs are actually relatively humble. Our imagined fantasized needs, those those can go on forever. Those can be incredibly extravagant, you know? And it it's it's a tremendous discipline to be in touch with simply our real needs. And there's a kind of abundance that comes when we're aware of, you know, I don't actually need all that much. And so there's a kind of abundance in that. And that that phrase, to carry out the unfathomable purpose of our being. You know, in in meditation groups, we tend to bandy around this term, Buddha nature. You know, what is Buddha nature? It you know, I think it a very honest way to frame Buddha nature is, the unfathomable purpose of our being. You know. Do we really, can we really say, as we sit here right now, we understand the spiritual being that we could be, you know? So there's something very humble in that. The third stage of humility is to accept our limitations, even to death. To accept that there are events outside our control that will control us, that have ultimate power over us, and that our will will not be done. And it's funny, I think in the modern world we're we're so used to we're so used to having choices. We're so used to feeling like, you know, we can control all kinds of things about our life. And we do have a lot of choices. And at the same time, there are all kinds of things that act on us that we have no control over. And that part of life is that humble acceptance of, you know, doing everything I can do, but accepting with surrender 
all the things that are beyond my control. And there are many of them. The fourth stage of humility is to be patient and to maintain a quiet mind, even the face of injustice, injury, and contradiction, preserving the certitude that we are continuously shaped by experience and refined by fire, and accordingly to be thankful even for injuries. And I want to be clear here, this one is ripe for misunderstanding in some ways, to be silent in the face of injustice. I I think the spirit of the text is being silent in the face of the things that I perceive in my own life as being unjust. You know, the way that person treated me was unjust. You know, the way she dumped me was unjust. You know, like that kind of thing. These very personal driven things. Um, Of course, in 2023, we really hear you know, when we read this, it brings up the fact that, for example, as a straight white male, it would be reprehensible for me to be silent about injustice that was happening toward people of color, toward women, toward gay and trans people, you know. You know, so there'd be a way that silence of that sort would be participating in oppression, you know, not not interrogating my own white privilege, that sort of thing, you know, and it I, I don't read that kind of thing into the text at all. Um, I think, it, in fact, it's very much in line with humility to be, you know, questioning my own white privilege, this sort of thing. Um, the injustice that they're talking about here is very much the, the personal kind of, you know, that was unfair to me kind of injustice. And that's a, it, it's a, it's a very hard teaching, you know, that we're shaped by the injuries, by the misunderstandings, by the unfairnesses that we encounter. Um, it's, it's close to the Buddhist idea that the person who insults you is your teacher. You know, the person who triggers you is your teacher, which, of course, is the last thing we want to hear when we're triggered. Um, something very humble in that. The fifth stage of humility is not to conceal our faults, but to be ruthlessly honest with ourselves and about ourselves. For to lie to, to ourselves or to others is to falsify our relationship with true life. And this one is also challenging, very challenging. You know, we, we live in a society that has such a, a, a poisonous tendency toward perfectionism, toward, you know, you know, you know, we, we see it in conventional society. We see it also in spiritual communities. You know, I have everything together. I'm just fine, you know, that kind of thing. Rather than being honest and showing up, you know, we all have struggles. We all have flaws, you know, this sort of thing. The sixth stage of humility is to be content with the work we are given to do and with the circumstances of our lives, however unfair or demeaning, constantly bearing in mind that it is our outlook that confers values on our experience and that nothing that occurs to us is intrinsically good or bad. You know, what self-talk do we have about our work, about our living circumstances, about, you know, whatever prospects we have, you know, 
How does that play out? What chatter do we have about that, you know? The seventh stage of humility is not only to declare ourselves to be humble, but to believe in our hearts that we are of no consequence. For alone, we are of no moment in the vast reaches and endless memory of the universe. Our most profound idea is the merest fantasy. Our greatest triumphs and our meanest acts are as lasting as a mark in the sand. There's this great quote by by Sri Nisgardatta. Wisdom tells me I'm nothing. Love tells me I'm everything. And I I think there's a, a very important balance there. You know, in some sense, we all are, you know, compared to the universe, compared to the, the large sweep of time, we all are kind of puny. And, and a lot of the drama in our lives is something that doesn't matter in the great scheme of things, you know. And at the same time, it's so important for us to treasure ourselves and to love ourselves as these precious beings, you know. And so it's holding both, both the, you know, I don't matter in the great scheme of things, and yet I love myself, you know. The eighth stage of humility is that we take no action except that which is in accordance with the path established for us by word and example by those who we know to be true guides, both past and present, always mistrusting our own ideas and wills. And this one is is tricky, you know, how can I say? Of course, there are some people who are Christian and the Bible is the guide for them. You know, others find inspiration, say, in the Buddhist writings. You know, what whatever it is that inspires us, how faithful are we to those ideals? And how quick are we to, you know, we'll live those ideals when they're convenient, but when there's something we really want, then we chuck those ideals out the window and we go after what we want, you know, that kind of thing. We're so human. You know, what would it mean to commit ourselves to the ideals that resonate deeply in our heart? What would it mean to really live out those ideals rigorously every day? You know, The ninth stage of humility is that we refrain from judgment. It is not for us to live the lives of others or to understand the infinite forces at work in every instant in another's lives. We must restrain our criticism, but also our advice, offering it only when requested and then only with sincere misgiving. And there's something so wise about that because there's this funny human tendency and and Jesus talks about this in the gospels you know that it's so hard for me to see my fault but it at least seems to me so easy to tell what the other person's problem is you know and and uh we're only too eager to say well let me tell you what's wrong with you you know this kind of thing um Yeah, there's something very profound there. You know, and even if we're not walking around pronouncing judgments on everyone, what are the ways that we do have judgments? You know, 
what are the instantaneous judgments we make about people that we see, you know, in the grocery store, on BART, you know? How much can we hold that kind of, that mystery, you know, the, the sacred, profound mystery that each person has, that each person is, you know? The tenth stage of humility is to refrain from taking pleasure in the losses of others. If we have sincere empathy, we can never believe ourselves superior to one another, nor take pleasure in each other's shortcomings and misfortunes. And so we hear that and we think, you know, oh, we're good people. We don't, we don't take pleasure in the losses of others. You know, what about a romantic ex? Have you ever find, found yourself wishing some kind of harm or ill will or serves them right for a romantic ex or for, you know, a friend who betrayed you or something like this? You know, or let's say, you know, just hypothetically, suppose there was a politician with whom you disagreed and say that politician was starting to run into all kinds of legal problems. Would you take joy in that, you know? And is that person any less deserving of our empathy because we disagree with them, you know? The 11th stage of humility is to speak gently and briefly. Participation in community requires that we speak, but also that we listen. In speech, we must be candid. In listening, we must be accessible. And listening is really, it's such a profound art. It really is, um, I mean, what it is to listen, to, to listen truly from a place of, of silence and receptivity, to listen truly from a place of, you know, tenderness and vulnerability, to, to attune to the other person as we're listening, um, it's a, it's a very rare thing in this world for someone to listen well. And when we can learn to listen well, we give such a profound, precious gift. You know, there are, there are so many people in this world who are dying for someone to listen to them. The 12th stage of humility is to maintain not only humble thoughts but also a humble demeanor, whether at work or on the road or at the market and speaking or at rest, we should continually reinforce, reinforce through appearance and demeanor the mean of humility. And I often like to say that the most powerful statement we make with our lives is not the jabber that comes out of our mouth. It's the, the deep energetic signal that we carry in the core of our body, you know, and to really be- live from humility and to believe at that level in our core, to integrate it into our core, that would be a profound statement, you know. So finally, he, he concludes, by daily pursuing these intentions, we will begin to observe these precepts through habit rather than through discipline, and in consequence, after long practice, we will sometimes accomplish these goals as our natural manner. 
And what I love about this, he, you know, he holds up all these ideals, these high ideals, and it's not this, you know, perfectionist, like, you need to live by all these high ideals today, you know. It's this understanding that all of this we grow into in time, and that we're all, you know, we're all flawed, we're all struggling, we all have our hang-ups, you know, and we'll make whatever progress we can as we move toward these, you know. So there's something very generous about that, I find.